Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to spring. I'm so happy it's here. We are on part three of our study of the life of the disciple Peter, and we will pick up there right after this. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, we have already talked about two portions of the five-part story arc that I'm proposing for the life of the disciple Peter. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is I feel like I relate to him so, so much in that he tends to be incredibly passionate, and at his worst moments, he speaks before he thinks. But at his very best moments, he leans into Christ, but that's not where we first meet Peter. So he's got this beautiful story arc that I'm suggesting we can all find ourselves in, and that's what I'm hoping that you're doing. Again, my caveat is that this is not exhaustive, and it's not even perfect. This is a study that I'm doing that I wanted to 
share with you and that I'm I'm going to admit at the outset I'm I'm still working through it but I think there's so much good here and because I know that I tend to be a perfectionist and sometimes if I don't act if I don't dare to share something while I'm working on it, I never will, right? Because it's not perfect. So I am telling you at the beginning that it's not perfect. There are holes in this, but I'm working it through and I'm hoping that together we can see what God did, how Peter leaned in and how Jesus met him where he was and how Peter grew and how Jesus responded and how Peter fell and how Jesus lifted him and how Peter grew. Because I think in all of that, there's a message of hope and encouragement for all of us. So the first part of this series, we talked about Peter being really curious about who Jesus was, that his brother brought him to Christ. Andrew, his brother Andrew, said, we have found Messiah, and he brought Peter. And Jesus saw Peter from the very beginning. And so that's just a remarkable thing, that it was Peter was really wondering. You know, his brother said that that's who this was. But there was something in Peter that was like, really? And Peter was invited to follow, and he dared to do that. And we talked in that first episode about all of the things that Peter would have witnessed as we put together the four Gospels, sort of put those together and see. Then in the second episode, we talked about Peter being cocky. He got into this place. He he kind of passed his curious phase and got to where he knew who um, Jesus was, But he also overlaid that with what he expected that to mean. So what I'm saying there is he really did get that Jesus was the Son of God. He makes that confession, and he understands who Jesus is, but in a wrong way. He thought Messiah was coming to overthrow the Roman government, and he's all about that. He wanted to be a part of of that. And so he gets into sort of this cocky phase where he's going to be on the inside of this revolution, right? And he's not completely wrong because he is on the inside of a revolution, but that revolution isn't going to go the way he thought it was. And that brings us to this third episode. And I'm going to say this is the period of time when Peter is just confused, This is when Peter comes face to face with the fact that he thought he knew, thought he knew what he was signing up for. He thought he knew what he was going to be a part of, and he was pumped about that. That's exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to be on the inside of a revolution. He wanted Rome overthrown. He wanted to be part of the inside crowd, right? And it is in this phase of Peter's time with Jesus that things start to unravel. At least Peter thinks they are. And I'm going to suggest at the outset, it's because Peter didn't have the right perspective on who Messiah was, what was necessary for Messiah to do the first time he came, as opposed to what Jesus will do when he comes again. So, I'm going to invite you, if you, this is where you are, right, maybe in your phase, in your relationship with Christ, maybe you've slammed into this confusion part. Maybe you came to Christ because you were curious. Maybe you got a little cocky about things going right in your life, and you're just sure that you're one of his favorites because everything's going great. And maybe you've slammed into a part of your life that it is really not going the way 
that you think it ought to go because you love him and you serve him and you're seeking him. And what in the world is this? Welcome to this part of Peter's life. And if that's where you are, I get it. I've been there more than once in my life, and it's a hard place to be. But I want us to study this portion of Peter's story arc and see what we can learn from it. Again, I'm going to present to you what I've learned. Our time is limited. I've got notes that we won't probably get to all of them. But really, what I'm hoping is that you'll dare to dig in to this story and see what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. There's only one truth in Scripture. So I am not suggesting by any imagination that that you can go to the Scripture and find your truth. There is one truth. But the Holy Spirit always meets us where we are. And so as you seek to understand this portion of Peter's story and and as it applies to your own potential confusion where you are right now, I really do believe that the Holy Spirit will minister to you. So I want to also say this, if you're going to dare to take me up on that dare and dig into the Gospels, here's the deal. Three of them are considered synoptic. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in fact, Mark is considered a source material, primary source material for both Matthew and Luke. And yet Luke is considered the most chronological. John is completely different, right? John is written more thematically. And so we don't look at the Gospel of John for any chronological information. Really, Luke is the backbone chronologically, which you can fit Matthew and Mark around. Now, that's a lot of information. You might want to rewind and listen to that again. That's sort of a synopsis of the Gospels. Here's my real point. The Gospels represent four perspectives on the same ministry of Christ. And so, just like if four of us got together and went to an event or even just to dinner, our perspectives on what would take place at that event or even at dinner would be different based on where we were sitting, um, the kind of day we came from, our past experiences, what we're looking forward to the next day. We're four different people. We have four different mindsets. We have four different life goals and objectives, even for that evening or that event, right? So if we were to retell that event or that evening to other people, it would probably look different, our retellings, and not because anybody was being dishonest, not that anybody missed anything, but in the retelling, there would probably be some things that didn't look like we were at the same event. There would probably be some things that we didn't all tell about, right? Because we're four different people, we're, we're probably retelling that event or that dinner to different people. And so, of course, there would be differences in our retellings. That's what we see in the four Gospels. We see four different men speaking to different audiences from different perspectives, right? And so, as you study the Gospels, they're, they complement each other. Very, very clearly, they complement. Now, enemies of the truth of the gospel tend to say that these are contradictions which make it clear that the Bible is not true. And that's inaccurate. Just like you and I going to the same event would have different perspectives on what happened. The four gospel writers, same thing. And so I really believe through study of the scriptures and the four gospels, you'll see the complementary nature of all of them. So as you dare to dive in, 
Just expect that's going to be true and dare to mentally engage and see what you can learn about those different perspectives and those writers of the gospel message. So right off the bat, as we enter into this phase of Peter's life that I've dubbed as a confused phase, we step right into the Last Supper. When Jesus institutes the Last Supper, now Supper. Now, two of the Gospels, Mark and Matthew, both write um, that Judas left before the institution of the Lord's Supper, and Luke talks, and John both talk about Judas leaving after the institution of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to say that we're going to set that matter aside in terms of its degree of relevancy to this story and just say that that is a difference. But Jesus here at this last Passover institutes the Lord's Supper. Now, this is something that he has alluded to in his ministry before. You'll remember in John 6, his first I am declaration, he said, I am the bread of life. And he goes on in that chapter of John to talk about the importance of feeding on his flesh and drinking his blood, which, if you remember, led to many to stop following Jesus because what he was teaching just made their head spin. And you'll remember that Jesus turns to the disciples and basically says, are you going to leave? Are you going to walk out too? And Peter, our spokesperson for the disciples, basically says, where would we go? You have the words of life. And so even in light of this very difficult teaching that caused some of those who had heretofore been following Christ to stop following Christ, Peter goes, no, we're in. We're staying because you have the words of life. So here we have at the last Passover, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And we also have foreshadowing of this, right? In the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, we see Jesus taking the bread and breaking it and blessing it and giving it to the masses to feed them. And here we see at the Last Supper, he's taking the bread and the cup. He's breaking the bread and he's giving it to them. And he's saying, this is my flesh. This is my blood. And I will not drink this again until I come again. So this is a very intimate institution of the Lord's Supper, just Jesus, just his disciples. And right in this whole mix of the inst- the foot washing that we only get in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus also says, one of you will betray me. Now, I need to back up just a little bit and review a couple of things about this issue of betrayal, and I'll pick that up right after this. Okay, the other thing I wanted to review with you is that this is the Last Supper. Jesus knows what he is facing. The disciples really don't. And it's because there's this clash of expectation. Jesus knows that he has come this first time to the planet for the express purpose of paying our sin price. He knows that he has come as the perfect Lamb of God to show us how to live, right? But also as the perfect Lamb of God to be what no actual lamb 
in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament could ever actually be to actually pay once and for all time the sin debt of mankind. So as God's beloved son, he comes, lives a sinless life so that he can pay our sin debt and glorify the father in so doing. The disciples, on the other hand, believe that Messiah has come to overthrow the Roman government, and they want to be a part of that. So, in the three times in Mark, chapters 8, 9, and 10, in the three foreshadowings, the three foretellings of his death that Jesus has told his disciples, they can't hear it. Because that's not what they wanted this to be. So he's very clear. If you read in Mark, Jesus telling his disciples what's going to happen, you read it and you think, my goodness, how did they miss it? He, they missed it like you and I miss it, right? That's not what they wanted it to be. And so they miss it. Even in the parable that Jesus tells about the tenants, you can read that one in Luke 20, 9 through 18. He tells this parable that is again pointing to the fact that he's got to die, that he's not here to overthrow the Rome's, the Roman government, not this time. He's come to die on the cross of Calvary, and they still can't get it. But Jesus says, at the Last Supper, somebody is going to betray me. And so Judas leaves. Jesus says, one, he's going to betray me. There's this moment of humility when the disciples were like, oh my goodness, could it be me? Which is remarkable because they all seemed in touch with their weakness enough to wonder, goodness, if push came to shove, could I do that? Am I capable of that? And they were arguing amongst themselves. And then Judas exits. And then immediately on the heels of such humility, we see them break up into this controversy, which is only talked about in the book of Luke, of who's the greatest in the kingdom, which is is nothing short of remarkable. In this, Peter says that he's willing to go to prison and to die for Jesus. And you'll remember that this is when Jesus predicts his denials. Now, one of my most favorite verses in all of scripture is only in Matthew and Mark when it says at the end of this discussion, they sang a hymn and went out. To know me is to know that I love the hymns. I love my hymn book. And I just think it is a particular blessing to think of Jesus and his disciples. They really not understanding the significance of this night. Jesus totally understanding the significance of this night they sang a hymn together. And boy, would I love to know what that hymn was, which one of the Psalters um, that was, because I'm sure that's what it is. And I I bet that was a, an amazing moment. So then they go to Gethsemane. We've got Jesus leaving the disciples to pray. Jesus takes his inner circle, which would have been Peter, James, and John. And he asked them to keep watch and pray. And this is where I'm going to suggest to you in all of this, the confusion and the mind spin is sort of on a low simmer all through this. I mean, Peter is asked to go and prepare for the Passover. He does. Jesus washes his feet, the institution of the Last Supper, the thing about somebody betraying. It's not really clear who that is. And yet Judas left. Did he go to get something? And then they're singing a hymn. And then they're going to Gethsemane. And then Jesus is asking them to keep watch and pray. I mean, 
This is a little, some of this is normal. They'd already had Passover together in the past. They'd already eaten together, except Jesus had never washed their feet before. And the whole thing about betrayal, that's a little weird. And now we're over here in Gethsemane and we're going to keep watch, keep watch. What are we watching for? Right? So I'm just going to suggest this is not in the Bible, but I'm just going to suggest, I think you can see a build here, a beginning of a slow boil here. Uh, and cause we're going to see it crescendo in confusion. So I just want to say, very rarely do we find ourselves, you and me, suddenly in confusion. And I don't think that Peter was suddenly confused. I think that there were things going on throughout the last couple of days, even if you back up all the way to the triumphal entry, right? And even if you go through the cleansing of the temple the second time, he had one time at the beginning of his ministry, the second time when he comes back to Jerusalem just before he dies at Calvary. So you've got all this stuff going on. And while all of these things may seem disjointed, I am just going to propose that it's possible that it's certainly Peter is like, I, this. there's something about this. It just feels off. And so you know that Jesus went off and prayed that prayer that is to inspire all of us. You know, if there's any other way, please, he's begging the Father. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. And ultimately, that is our example of prayer, that we would yield our wants, our desires, our will to the perfect, pleasing, good will of God. And we see that Jesus did that in the garden. And he comes back and he finds them sleeping, right? And the interesting thing about Jesus coming back, he came back twice and he he finds them sleeping, but he holds Peter accountable. He holds Peter accountable. That's fascinating to me. So Peter wasn't just the self-appointed leader of the disciples. It seems also on more than one occasion that Jesus also saw him as the leader of the disciples. So he confronts Peter and goes, why are you sleeping? Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. And so again, Jesus goes off and prays, and then he comes back, and they're sleeping again. And then who's coming? Judas is leading this mob of soldiers um, with wooden clubs and spears and swords and lanterns, and they're coming at night. And again, I'm just going to tell you, this ratchets up this boil in Peter's mind, like, what is going on? What is going on? It's not supposed to go down this way. I don't understand what's going on. I can just imagine that Peter, Peter, he's being held responsible. He's just been rebuked again by the Lord. Why are you sleeping? He feels the responsibility of leadership on him, right? And Jesus asked this mob, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus responds, I am. Now, in your Bible, it might say, I am he, but you'll notice that he is in italics. That is not in the original. It was just, I am. And you'll even read further that they fell back. He's declaring, I am. I am. This is the I am that Moses meets at the burning bush in the Old Testament. I am that I am. This is, in my opinion, perhaps an eighth I am statement by Christ. I am. And in all of this, Peter is feeling this, I've got to protect Jesus, right? And he takes out his sword. 
he takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. Now, this is Peter in confusion. This is Peter in panic. He feels like I've I've got to protect Jesus. They're going to take Jesus. What's this is not how this is supposed to go. This is not how this is supposed to work. He's supposed to be the conquering hero. They're not supposed to be able to take him. I mean, they threatened him in the past, but they've never been able to lay hands on him. And what is happening? Judas, what what is this? I just want to ask you, as someone listening today, is that how you feel like your world is going right now? Like, wait, just a minute. This is this. No, it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to play this way. How did we get? How did we get here? And you try to retrace your steps, and you try to think back to where you knew where you were, and because you don't know where you are now, that's Peter in this moment. And in that moment, for Peter, he whacks off Malchus's ear. And I just want to suggest to you boldly, he wasn't going for Malchus's ear. He was going for Malchus's throat, and Malchus had to duck. And he hacks off Malchus's ear in this panicked, confused, frustrated, what is going on state. And Jesus says, put it away, Peter. Put it away. And Jesus heals Malchus's ear. His last healing is done for this servant, for this moment, for Peter. And notice the personal nature of this. Peter is protecting his Lord. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, put it away. And he takes the ear and he heals Malchus's ear. It says he touched and he healed him. And I wonder about the the soldiers who came. I wonder about Judas. Did Judas kiss and betray and run away? Did he linger? I mean, Judas would have seen healings before. Maybe the soldiers never had. What was it like to arrest a man who just healed a man? And so he heals them, and then they arrest him. Right? Without any resistance. I don't imagine Jesus resisted. I want you to remember this is why he came. This is why he came. This isn't why they thought he came, meaning the disciples, but this is why he knew he came. And so they arrest him and they take him off. And I and I want you to call your attention to the passage because it's in three of the four gospels. It says that Peter followed. At a distance. He followed at a distance. And sometimes that's how you and I follow Jesus. We follow him, but not enthusiastically, not like we want anyone to notice, right? We're just following at a distance. We're willing to see where this is going, but we don't really want to be associated with it, right? We don't want to be guilty by association. We certainly don't want to be arrested or accused. So we just follow at a distance. So did Peter. And I'm going to suggest to you, Peter did that because he was confused. So he follows at a distance. He ends up getting into the courtyard. And you, you probably know this scene. You probably know this. He's in the courtyard. Jesus is arrested. He's already being tormented and mocked, right? And here it comes. Three different people in the courtyard. And I'm going to challenge you. I can't possibly cover all of this in our remaining time, but... I want to challenge you to go back and study this in the Gospels. Three different times people come up and and see Peter. And they go, wait, 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 wait. You were with him. You were with him. And Peter's like, oh, no, 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 not me, not me. I would, no. Mm -mm." And yet a second person comes up and says, 
oh yeah, no, really, I saw you, you were with him. And he's like, no, I was not with him. Got the wrong guy, not me. And yet a third time, a third time, someone comes up to Peter and says, no, now I know you were with him. And it says in scripture, original language, he's actually cursing at this point. He's angry. We here get a glimpse of old Peter. You've heard the whole language like a sailor. Peter was a fisherman. And that old fisherman comes out this third time. And he curses. And no, not me. I don't know him. It's only recorded in Luke, but in Luke twenty two sixty one, it says, Jesus turned and looked, and he and Peter caught eyes, and the cock crowed, and Peter remembered. Peter remembered what he'd forgotten in all of his confused state, what he'd forgotten in all of the panic, what he'd forgotten when the world started to spin and nothing was going the way that he thought it was going to go. Jesus had said that he would deny him three times, and Peter had insisted that he would not. Peter had insisted that he was ready to go to prison. Peter had promised that he was willing to die with Jesus, and yet he denied him three times. And it is at this point that we see that Peter wept. Peter, it says, he was deeply grieved and he wept bitterly. Deeply grieved and he wept bitterly. See, in Peter you have this man, this passionate man, who got who Jesus was. He got who Jesus was. He got it. But things got hard. And things got confusing, and things didn't go the way he wanted them to go. He knew what he wanted to be a part of. He wanted to be a part of a revolution. He wanted to be a part of the overthrow of the Roman government and all of their oppression. That's what he wanted to be a part of. And he knew who Jesus was. He'd seen the miracles. He'd seen the healings. He'd seen the little girl come back to life. He'd seen Lazarus raised from the grave. He had heard the teaching. He knew who Jesus was. He'd seen him look into people's eyes and touch the lepers and the downtrodden and confront the religious leaders. He knew who he was, but this is not how he thought it was going to go. And he couldn't stand it. And he denied his Lord. And he went away and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. And as you know, Jesus went on to die on the cross of Calvary and Peter was not there. In fact, of all the 12 disciples, we know that Judas went off and hung himself in despair because I don't think Judas ever got who Jesus was. But because Peter got who Jesus was, he went off convicted of what he had done, but not despairing, not despairing because he got who Jesus was. And that's the difference I want to suggest to you between Judas and Peter is that Peter got who Jesus is. Judas didn't. So Judas goes off and hangs himself, and the only disciple at the foot of the cross is John. Otherwise, Jesus was alone. John is there. Some of the other women are there. Mary, his mother, is there. I can't imagine. 
And Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for you and me to pay our sin death. And therefore, to glorify the Father by making a way, making it possible for you and I to have peace with God, the resurrection, the perfect blood of the Lamb on the cross of Calvary. For three days, I think Peter had, and Jesus lay cold in the grave. I just want to ask you today, is Jesus doing what you want him to do? Or are you choosing to allow your head to spin in confusion? When it all seems lost, when hope seems gone, when you feel deserted, when things aren't going the way you want them to go, what you signed on for, perhaps you were under some wrong heretical teaching that told you that if you love Jesus and embrace Jesus, everything's going to go great for you. You're just going to, everything's just going to be perfect. He's going to give you whatever you want in the blood of Jesus. He's going to hand, he's obligated to give you exactly what you want all the time. I'm just going to declare to you today that is heretical teaching and it is not found in the gospel message anywhere in the 66 books. When it says that he will give us and answer our prayers, it's according to his will. When we pray according to his will, he grants us that. He gives us every good thing according to his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's answered prayer. When we, like Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, pray for his will and not our will. And that means that some things happen to us that he ordains sovereignly as for our good that we would never have chosen. That we cannot make sense of, that are confusing, that are painful that we don't see any way out of, that we don't see any redemption. And yet, it is in those impossible circumstances in our life, in those situations in our lives where we are just distraught that we have got to dare to hold on to who we know Jesus to be. Who we know Jesus to be. That is what I'm going to suggest to you Peter held on to. Peter held on to who he knew Jesus to be. And I'm going to suggest to you that Peter did, and this is not in Scripture, but could it be those three days, that Friday, the rest of that Friday, all day Saturday until Sunday morning, which we're not going to talk about until the next episode, could it not be that Peter went over and over in his head, over and over, All of the healings that he remembers witnessing, the teaching. He remembers walking on the water. He remembers Jesus calming the sea. He remembers the Beatitudes. He remembers, he remembers, and yes, he remembers denying him. And boy, he wishes he could take that back. But I'm going to suggest to you that's what he held on to. What he knew, what he'd seen, held him until Sunday morning. And I'm going to dare you that if you're in that place of confusion today, first of all, I can't promise you that you will never be back here. I am sorry to say that I have been in positions of confusion in my life where I could not see up. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And I've had to be back there, right? In his sovereignty, he's taken me back there so that I could remember all he is and how good he is. Even now, I'm back there 
in a place where I'm just like, daggummit, I can't see how this plays out. But the opportunity when we're in a place of confusion is to hold on to who we know He is. And to remember all that He's already done. And to dare to thank Him in anticipation of what He's doing. Because you and I know what Peter didn't. Sunday morning's coming. Sunday morning's coming. And that's where we'll pick up next time. I'll see you then. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace, and throughout Scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.